0: bands back together again feels like i haven't seen you all in one zoom room in a while so how's everyone going good yeah, doing good it's been like a whole five days how many cups of coffee is that for you georgie what's in that mug water oh, sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's a really cute for people who are listening it's a really cute harry potter cup that's actually my daughter's and i've kind of like stolen uh, it
0: and i love cute. it yeah, welcome back, everyone, to the thank you to kind of spring. We'll see.
1: I had my door open for a little while. It was chilly, but it was nice to smell some fresh air.
2: Nice to see the sun today, too. You know, it's like so gloomy. Yeah, um, so yeah, uh, I'm really I'm happy that it feels like we're moving in the spring direction. Because as I'm sure many of our listeners have heard us bemoan many times, spring here on the east end of Long Island is not a fun season. It's
0: wet and red. But just think, you know, pretty soon it'll warm up and we'll start hearing the leaf blowers again. Season is upon us. If
2: it's warm, I'm okay with the leaf blowers. I'll, I'll take the leaf blowers for a little.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Bring us your leaf blowers. <laughs> that's another podcast. So um, today we're finally actually focusing on something that seems to crop up in virtually every Podcasts that we do. Um, but before I talk about that, I'm going to introduce everyone. So we have Bill Sutton back at the controls after a week in uh, Rochester,
1: right? Be- beautiful downtown Rochester. Yes. Yeah. Is I, the
0: river still Kodachrome colored?
1: No, because Kodak's pretty much closed now. But it takes
0: a long time to get those rainbow hues out of yeah, the I water. Don't think, I don't think there's any fish in there. But. <laughs> rainbow <laughs> fish. Remember that book, Georgie? <laughs> Hi, Bill.
1: Hi, so I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
0: Also here with us again is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan.
3: Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor.
0: And Catherine G. Manu, a.k.a. Georgie's in the house. Hey, Georgie. (laughs) Hey,
2: Annette, I'm Georgie. I'm one of the publishers of the Express News Group.
0: And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And today, we're talking about, do we have an echo effect? Affordable housing, 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 housing. housing. Maybe I can make that. I'm going to see if I can make that come off in the edit. Affordable <laughs> housing is what we're talking about, and it's um, something that frequently comes up. No matter what we're talking about, it could be restaurants, it could be Main Street, it could be um, volunteer firefighters. Every every conversation we have comes back down to affordable housing which is appropriate that on april 7th the express news group hosted a express session at the clubhouse in waynescott about this very topic and so we had a lineup of guests uh ralph fasano he's the executive director of concern for independent living uh curtis highsmith of the southampton town housing authority Bob Plum, who's a Sag Harbor Village Trustee, Tommy John Scavone, who's a Southampton Town Councilman, Fred Thiel, our New York State Assemblyman, and Peter Van Skoyak, who is East Hampton Town Supervisor.
1: Actually, Fred Thiel was stuck in Albany working on the state budget and was with us in spirit, I'm sure, but was unable to attend the, uh, the express sessions.
0: Oh, so I was curious how we couched this. I mean, that's a big topic to take on. And I just wondered if you could set the scene for us about how the session was set up and what the questions were that we were setting out to address in this session.
1: So I mean, the, the title of, of the sessions was Real Solutions to the Affordable Housing Crisis, recognizing that that it is a crisis and I don't think anybody denies that and we've been talking about that for for a few years now um but we we wanted to focus on what um local municipalities are doing to to kind of address the crisis local municipalities and um and and local builders um, uh, Mr. Fazano, Ralph Fasano is, as you said is from Concern for Independent Living um, and um, has uh, built a number of housing complexes, um, you know, across Long Island, focused on providing, um, you know, affordable units, a lot to to veterans and and just in the affordable housing realm. So it was, um, it was talking about what what can we do? Um, I mean, I think a lot of times we talk about affordable housing, and and we hear and we hear the. Um, we hear the horror stories and the war stories, and, and those are all really significant. And, and I know that it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people um, to, to see families moving out of state, to, to look at the possibility of having to move themselves, not being able to live in, in the communities that they grew up in and their parents grew up in and their grandparents grew up in because it just cost so much to live out here. Um, but we wanted to look at, at again, solutions. Um, a lot of the conversation um, focused on the Community Housing Fund, which um, was approved, finally was, was signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul last year and um, is, is the thing that's, that will hopefully provide some money to the five east end towns. It's, it would provide for a half percent uh, transfer tax on most real estate transfers. Um, to provide the, the towns with money um, to, to address community housing. It's modeled after the Community Preservation Fund, which you know has generated billions of dollars um, over the last couple of decades. Um, and, and I think there's been some question as to whether or not the towns are ready to go ahead with, with this Community Preservation Fund um, in order to get the, to get the money rolling. The towns have to come up with a plan that says what they're going to do with these millions of dollars that will be generated um, and have to put it to the voters. There'll be a referendum in November asking voters to support the plan. And there had been some discussion, apparently it came up at a um, East End Supervisors and Mayors Association meeting recently that maybe the towns would want to wait a year. Um, until 2023, to give them time to finish up their plans and come up with a um, uh, public relations campaign to to, to help voters decide whether or not they wanted to support the plan.
0: I mean, I know that's very early in the game, but any discussion on what kind of plans might work? And were there any kind of innovative ideas that we had not yet heard? I know that the whole idea of building large affordable housing apartment complexes is kind of not where a lot of people want to go. Um, but I wondered if we want to talk a little bit about what was sort of suggested as Possible creative solutions, and if we heard any of
1: those, sure. I, I think it, it came up, and, and, and there were some comments from um, you know from audience members um, at at the event that because because it, it, the discussion did begin talking about um, because Mr. Fasano was there it, it talk, talking about um, you know rental units and apartment complexes that would be affordable or, or that would offer an affordable element, and I think you know for any affordable housing. Plan moving forward, that has to be part of it because you have to you have to find housing for for different levels of of income and for people on the lower end of the spectrum. It, it might be that there was also a lot of talk about accessory apartments, particularly in in Sag Harbor. Bob Plum was talking about that, um, and and in both Southampton and, and and East Hampton, and that would be when people would either. Um, build a, a freestanding or an attached, um, you know, apartment to to existing homes, um, and have, um, you know, either either for a family member or or from somebody from from the outside. Um, and I, and I think the third biggest point, and it's been talked about, but um, you know, it incentives, uh, down payment assistance for people who want to, um, you know, build a family and own a home. Um, but but can't afford you know a house on the east end so the towns could come in and provide some money a portion of money a portion of that down payment um the the towns would then have an um, an easement on or, or you know hold hold the deed a partial deed on on that property um and then when they sold it you know if they sold it in the future then um you know that money would go back to the town and I, I think that I think that's that smart because you have people that that want to build families and um, you know and want to buy a house but when you're talking about minimum prices for houses at one million dollars, how do you how do you come up with a down payment like that?
2: Well I'm wondering too was there any talk about um, you know providing sort of like tax breaks or incentives for people who do build accessory units off their own home because I think like these multi-generational, Um, living situations are kind of like the future for the traditional family out here. Um, Curtis Highsmith, um, I know when in his opening remarks talked about how he has a multi-generational home of his own, his son, um, who's 26, um, they basically have had to outfit their house so that his family, um, you know, can live with them. Um, We are in a similar situation in Springs where I'm actually recording in my mother-in-law's affordable accessory apartment, um, you know, that we built under the town's accessory apartment law, but um, retrofitting or Building a whole new apartment can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I think right. at minimum, right. you're probably, if you don't need a septic upgrade, looking at $150,000 if you're lucky. And so I just think it's so challenging for people to put that kind of investment um, if they expect or hope
0: to um, get their money back on that investment.
2: Right,
1: right. You're, you're, right. you're never going to see the return right? for that, right?
0: So that could be something where the, where the part of the housing fund maybe helps to reimburse people for those renovations if they agree to allow an affordable tenant to move in there for X amount. Um, but they also make it so difficult. I mean, honestly, we're doing a little renovation in our backyard and it's going to cost us like several thousand dollars just to get permission to run the water line. And it's our own well. We're not on county water and we have the upgraded septic, um, but it's just that it's so incredibly difficult um, that... They have not made it easy, um, in any stretch of the imagination, to do
1: that. Yeah, I think there's there's a wide range of incentives that, that you could provide to to homeowners willing to do that, and you know, and I think you do that with the idea that then the apartment, um, you know, has to remain affordable. Um, you know, and, and I think that you know that that's the difficult part there, right?
3: One of the things about the affordable apartment, you know, or accessory apartment law in Southampton town that I thought would really dissuade homeowners was that once you cease use of that apartment, you have to tear it out. Mm. So you put in this initial investment of tens of thousands of dollars, maybe your son lives there uh, with your daughter-in-law, right? And and a couple of years later, they decide they're going to go move and get their own place, whether it be locally or in the Carolinas or Florida, what have you. Now you have an empty apartment and you have to decide, am I going to have a stranger live in my house or am I just going to leave it empty and you know, maybe, uh, maybe my grandkids will come up and visit and use it? No, the town is going to make you remove it from your house because you no longer have an income qualified tenant in it. Now you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars to remove your accessory apartment because they're not going to let you keep that extra standalone kitchen. They're not going to let you keep that part of your house that has its own entry. And then a couple of years later, you know, your other kid who was 16 when you turned, took the apartment out, gets home from college when they're 22. Now they want to move in. Okay, now spend tens of thousands of dollars fixing your accessory apartment up. Like who, who wants to do this?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's similar in the town of East Hampton. I mean, we are, we're in a position, like I said, my mother-in-law lives in the apartment that we have and she doesn't pay rent. Um, but you know, if she were, um, if she were to pass and then we would need to either, we could rent it to an immediate family member um, that's allowed. Um, But if we didn't rent it to an immediate family member, we would have to rent it to somebody on the town's affordable housing list. That's already met the income requirements that Brendan is talking about. Our apartments designed in such a way where I would be okay with that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change our family life. Um, in, in any way, but um, I could see other you know apartments just by the function of the size of your property or whatever, that feeling a little bit, maybe close for comfort for people. So I could see why some would maybe see that as something that they don't wanna pursue. Here, basically what I was told is if, if we weren't using it for an affordable um, purpose, we would have to take the kitchen out. Um, mm-hmm. The rest of the square footage could remain, but the kitchen would have to um, be removed.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So were there any, um, any new ideas that we had never heard of before that, that kind of caught your interest?
1: I, I didn't hear anything really unique. Um, and, and again, the, the towns are, are still formulating their plans and, and, and what they're going to do um, with the money, but but it was really encouraging to hear everybody be very positive um, about moving forward and positive about um, you know getting the, the CHF on on the ballot this year. And and again, looking at different levels and and not putting all their eggs in one basket. It's not going to be all apartments or not going to be all accessory units or 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 whatever. Just to I, I think they're 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 open-minded at this point and, and looking at all kinds of, of different options. Um, and I think that's the way to address it.
0: So did any of the NIMBYism come up? I know that we've had some um, developments proposed in, in different parts of East Hampton, where it's uh, been a lot of outcry because the, of the fear that more children will start, be, start going to this local schools and things like that. So I'm wondering, did anyone try to bring that up as an issue um, or try to um, either justify or knock that down?
1: There wasn't a lot of uh, NIMBY stuff. Um- at 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 the sessions and you know i mean i think the crowd there was pretty much on board and and at one point i i asked for a show of hands of how many people were were in favor if they had to vote today on on the the chf would they and it was um all all but one person who um you know who raised their hand in favor so i, I don't think you hear a lot of that but but we did try to raise some points about you know the the uh, the the old bugaboos that you hear all the time that if you put in affordable units you're going to get people from Mineola moving in you know and and that type of thing and and I think Curtis Highsmith was was really strong in that talking about um, you know the the affordable housing apartments that the town has built already and and has this um, you know has a has a uh, a lottery list of, of people that. You know that, that qualify for for these apartments. That most of those people either live or work. The people that got the apartments, most of them either lived or worked in Southampton already, um, or they lived in in. There were, I think he said, seven percent were living in Brookhaven, but they were either from Southampton already or they worked in Southampton. So you don't see a lot of people. Um, you know coming in and I, I think that's always the strongest point you hear from people who are opposed to these housing um, um, developments is is you're gonna you know there's there's no way to keep it to um, people who you know who, who live here to, to, to locals um, I, I, I think I brought up a point and and you know we had had a, a sessions event a few weeks ago about you um, first responders and, and firefighters and and is there a way to to give them a priority on on that housing list and Southhold has has done that south so south has a housing list and they give a uh, a certain percentage per preference to um first responders and, and firefighters and it's in their town code now it hasn't been challenged and and i think that you know that that at some point you could possibly see that challenge, but I asked about, you know, whether that's a possibility to try to, you know, try to try to get by the, uh, you know, the fair housing laws to to make these things available to to local people, and I think that's a question that's kind of unanswered. I, I think it, you know it's, it's difficult to do that because you, you, the the fair housing law is there to protect. You know, underrepresented communities and and make sure that um, the housing is available to to everybody. And if you don't have those, you know, large number of of that population locally, then then restricting to to locals kind of, um, you you know, violates that so you have to be really careful but, but I I think, you know, if, if, if the towns are are creative, maybe there's a way to, you know, to kind of um, Focus, give a little preference here and there. Um, you know encourage people to be volunteers in the community if if they get the affordable housing, that type of thing. Tell them you know that that we'd like to see you volunteer for the fire department or the ambulance company or you know or, or that type of thing.
0: If you're not working out here, I don't see why you would try to get affordable.
1: I, I agree but it, you know it came up on, on, on the North Fork and there was, um there was an affordable project that, that went in and uh, on the North Fork and um you know we didn't do any reporting on it so I'm, I'm kind of secondhand from you know from the people on the on the north fork reporters but um the, the you know the, the housing crisis isn't just on the east end the housing crisis is long island wide and probably new york statewide and probably countrywide um and and there was you know there were some apartments that went in at south and reportedly um people came from from up the island because it was an affordable place they had nowhere else to go and and so they got on the list and and they got those you know some of of those apartments anyway and um i don't know south hold to me would be kind of a hard place to 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 live if you're if you're not from the area or whatever there's you know not a lot of public transportation and um, you know, not a lot of retail and stores and stuff, unless you're going to Riverhead. But um, I, I think, you know, people need a place to stay They're They're going to apply everywhere they can go.
0: But I guess most of these will also, they'll have like at least a um, uh, like a minimum um, income kind of thing too. Like it's not just anybody can move in no, right. who wants to, you have to prove that you can pay your rent, which means you have to really show that you are employed.
3: You know what I mean? Well, you can't discriminate based on source of income. So if somebody's income qualified because they meet the minimum, they don't go over the maximum, that minimum could be from any number of sources, which could include you know, disability checks. Oh, so you're, you, that's counted in your minimum income. And then that's why I'm always hesitant to say workforce housing, because it could be social security as somebody's income. So, you could build an affordable complex thinking, oh, we're going to bring in workers to all these 40 units, but then the units are going to like retirees.
0: Yeah, that's always an interesting conundrum because, you know, retirees do need places to live, but they're not people who are necessarily helping to um, keep the local work economy going. Did anybody talk about that, like workforce versus retirement um, housing?
1: I, I don't know that that came up specifically, but I, I, Brendan's talking about income guidelines. And, you know, for, for the numbers that it's based on for a family of four, that income could be over a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it gets into six figures. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're building places for, for people who that the income is capped at $30,000 or $40,000. I mean, so that's workforce stuff. That's doctors, that's lawyers, that's teachers. That, that can still qualify for, you know, for affordable housing stuff. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. So I wonder, was there any talk about like private um like I, you know, I always wonder, like, you know, the hospital being a big employer? And I wonder if there are any initiatives that we know of where employers are really housing their own staff or looking to do developments for their employees. And would that be a solution?
2: Well, I know a lot of, of restaurant doors um locally have traditionally either bought houses or um like, I remember when Kenny ran La Super Rica, he had staff housing, um, a house that he bought in North Haven specifically so that he could have staff there. Jesse Matsuoka, who is um, one of the owners of Sen, among other restaurants um, in the area. Um, I know that he has staff housing. Um, you know, obviously he can't accommodate his full staff, but he can accommodate some staff members. Um, you know, and I think that if, if especially if you were able to do it, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, that was a really wise, smart move. You know, I know like, you know, we have a, a pretty large staff at the Express Group and, you know, down the road, Gavin and I do hope that one day we'll be able to think about purchasing commercial property for housing um, just because it's so challenging. Otherwise, I think to get any young professionals out here at this Point um, unless they're you know willing to commute an hour and a half.
3: You know when when I moved out here the first time, I moved to Hampton Bays and I lived in a house that was six bedrooms, six adults, nobody related to each other, and in unincorporated Southampton Town, that's not legal as far right. as I know, right? Yeah. And that's where most of the people my age back then that I met, that's how they lived. They lived in houses. Not, not like basement apartments. They lived in houses that were split four, five, six ways among young professionals. And we would commute to Southampton, East Hampton, what have you, and we would keep the businesses operating. And now those housing opportunities don't really exist anymore. One of the reasons is because, um, because real estate just got out of control. People who own those types of houses where they're making fairly good rent by renting it to six adults instead of one family of four, they sold their houses. They said, well, the market's never going to be as hot as this. They sold it and they didn't sell it to people who were going to rent it uh, for an affordable price for six young professionals. They sold it to people who want to have it as their Hampton's getaway in case there's another virus surge. So a lot of those opportunities came off the market. And when those opportunities existed, it's not like they could be well advertised because they weren't legal.
0: So the Sack Harbor Cinema had bought a, uh, a property in um, Sack Harbor, which is interesting. And they're using that for their. Um, Their employees, right, Georgie? Yeah. And
2: like you were saying, that's like one of the first um, times in recent memory outside of Jesse Matsuoka, who again also has developed housing um, for some of his staff at Sen, also in Sag Harbor, that you've seen, um, you know, certainly a nonprofit um, go ahead and purchase um, a standalone house for housing. But I think that they were seeing that it was impossible for that arts nonprofit, you know, which has just had a, a really amazing, um, you know, comeback since it was rebuilt and now programming is live. Um, they just couldn't keep an executive director. I mean, it just wasn't for what they were able to pay as a nonprofit. It just wasn't the, the numbers weren't adding up. And so this was, you know, a runaround um, and, you know, I, I, I laud them for it, and I'm glad that they had the the funding and the ability to do that. But you know, for most businesses and nonprofits, like Bill said, you know, when you're looking in East Hampton, Sag Harbor, Southampton, at you know, the ground floor is a million dollars. <laughs> that, that's a lot, you know. But I wanted to also just really touch on those multifamily houses that you had talked about earlier um, in Sag Harbor, and that, you know, you were talking about how they were, you know, used heavily in the 70s and 80s. I mean, really, it was only in the last 10 years that you saw a number of those get gobbled up. Um, again, by like a multifamily home getting purchased by somebody who's going to renovate it into a single family residence. And I think we probably have lost the equivalent of, I don't know, two dozen apartments in Sac Harbor, just in those multifamily houses being converted to single family residences alone. And that's a big number for a two square mile village.
0: But Brendan, I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the Atlantic Golf Club, which is looking to build some workforce housing on their property. And if you could bring us up to speed on what you know of that project.
3: So the Atlantic Golf Club in Bridgehampton has proposed a 16 bedroom staff housing building basically something to get them through the summer so they can have caddies on the course and groundskeepers, what have you, who they wouldn't have otherwise. These people would have no place else to live. Uh, Technically, I guess the golf club could go out and, and buy a house and rent it out illegally 16 ways or rent a couple houses eight ways each, but they want to do something legal and put up their own housing, but the neighbors are really against it. So 16 bedroom building, assuming you know this is a style building where it's going to be one person per bedroom, not two person per bedrooms. But adding 16 affordable units to our summer housing stock for workers exclusively is a pretty big deal in an area where it's very hard to build one affordable housing unit. So if the neighbors get their way and this doesn't go through, that's going to push the staff housing elsewhere. And when they get pushed out elsewhere, you know, they're, they're not creating that housing, they're going to take it from somebody else. So the planning board had issued site plan approval, but the neighbors have sued. And it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome is of their lawsuit.
0: Yeah, I wondered, You know, also, is this going to have a chilling effect on any other organizations that are thinking of doing the same thing? Like if this doesn't go well for the Atlantic Golf Club, then maybe other organizations that were even thinking that this might work might be a little bit scared to go ahead and try that.
3: One of the things that came out of the session was that there are gigantic regulatory hurdles to building any type of affordable housing, where if you identify a site and you say, oh, that'd be a great spot for affordable housing. You know, it's 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 away from everybody. We could definitely do it there. The problem is there is little to no um, areas on the South Fork that are zoned for multifamily housing. So you need a change of zone, and that takes a lot of money. It can be hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it takes at least two years just to get the change of zone. You haven't even put shovels in the ground yet. So if you want to make it easier for businesses to do things like put up a 16-room boarding house for their employees, even if it's just for summer employees, you would you should do the regulatory changes first. Instead of expecting them to come up with a plan and then doing the regulatory changes to try to accommodate that plan,
1: well, oh, and I think the towns need to come in and, and do some code changes first and, and be proactive. And that I, I think a lot of those hurdles that, that Brendan's talking about are, um, you know, can 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 be addressed. Um, by the towns as as part of of their efforts and to to control this crisis. And I think you see Sag Harbor Village doing some of that right now trying to, to make these accessory apartments as as a right and and building the, you know, talking about allowing three story buildings where you can have, you know, housing, uh, you know, above businesses and, and all that it's, let's, let's not keep it difficult for people to build housing, let's make it easier. Right.
0: I thought it was interesting. I think it was one of the um, the radio shows a few weeks ago where that we talked about this issue um, in Riverhead and how in some ways Riverhead is not that keen to maybe have this um, transfer tax added to their tax base to tax rolls because of the fact that they feel like they're already taking on the burden of, of what affordable housing there is in the area, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like they're not, I think they would rather sit back and see how the um, the South Fork and North Fork handle it. And if they take on more of a role
1: in housing people. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Riverhead rejects it, if, if they even put it on the ballot this fall. I mean, there was, um, you know, I, I read reporting of a Riverhead town board meeting last week and the town board, town board members were, were just like, you know, no, I mean, you know, why, why do we need to do this? We have a lot of affordable housing in Riverhead. Um, We're not, we're not the South Fork. Uh, Riverhead doesn't make nearly as much money from the CPF as, as the other towns do, or or as Southampton and East Hampton do. Um, I don't think they'd be seeing as much from community housing fund, um, you know, as, as the two, you know, South Fork towns. Um, I I don't know if it's to their advantage.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. So, Bill, is there anything else that came out of the session or Brendan that,
3: that strikes you? Well, there's Chris Fiore's idea, which I think he also wrote in a letter to the editor, which is something that's being considered, which is taking... Uh, you know, the idea in general is to take old malls and big box stores, but we don't have any old malls here. But what we do have is we have a Kmart in Bridgehampton. Mm-hmm. Ah. That you know, I'm I I don't use that Kmart, but I, I am told that it is generally empty. It is not a well trafficked Kmart. Yeah. There used to be hundreds of Kmart's in the United States, if not thousands. Now there's four. Four. Wow. And yeah, one four. of them is in Bridgehampton. Um, so what are the options? Is like Walmart going to move in because they see an opportunity? Um, I wouldn't see much of an opportunity if that Kmart doesn't have a lot of foot traffic. Like would a Target want to take over a Kmart that nobody goes to? So what can you do with all that space? Well, maybe you can convert it into affordable housing. Maybe you put in a lot of efficiency apartments. It's actually a really interesting idea. So Ralph Asano of Concern Housing, his response to that was, I wouldn't want to take a Kmart and turn it into a bunch of apartments. Uh, Chris, who suggested the idea, acknowledged that it would be hard to get light in because not everybody's going to be around the four walls. You would have to put people in the middle. You'd have to do some kind of a skylight sit- situation so that people didn't have to live right. like vampires. So what Ralph said is I would knock it down and I would build something nice. Who knows what costs more? Does it cost more to put to put apartments into an existing Kmart or to knock it down and build something new?
0: My daughter was looking at colleges. We looked at um, uh, Hawaii Pacific University, and they had taken over an old mall in Honolulu and turned it into dorms. And I first I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. They actually did a pretty nice job with it. I mean, albeit it was a different kind of mall structure because you're in Hawaii, so it was like you know stores with like. Uh, like catwalks and things. So there, at least there was an outdoor space for everyone, but the, but the apartments themselves, other than the doors on the front did not have windows, but they, they did a really nice job and it didn't feel claustrophobic. And, you know, they had a window looking out onto the catwalk. Um, So I don't know, I wonder if there's a way to, or maybe cut the building in into like almost like corridors. And then each corridor has its own Light source and and entryway,
1: so it's instead of one big giant building. Around the time that we received that letter, I I I was a little skeptical of it, but I I saw an article, so it was the oldest mall in America. It was in in Rhode Island that was transformed into forty eight low cost micro apartments. Now these are not apartments that I would want to live in. They don't they don't have full kitchens. They barely have bedrooms. Um, they're, yeah. I mean, they're really, really tiny. Um, and, and, you know, and I, there was, I, I read a story about it and I think a lot of people who like work in that area during the week, stay there and then they go home on the weekends, that type of thing. Um, but they were, they turned, they were really affordable. The, the lower lowest price ones were $550 a month. So, I mean, maybe it's not such a crazy idea to, you know, to, to, if, if it, if, <clears throat> If Ed, Brendan questions whether it's um, if it's more more cost effective to convert an old building into smaller apartments, um, you know, maybe that's an option. Everything's on the table at this point, right?
0: They were really nice. I read that article and they were really adorable. I mean, there's sort of that new kind of um danish style of like kind of pared down living but they had like little built-in seating areas right. and the bed it was and
1: and, and and part of the mall was retained to you know to serve these people with a couple of different small restaurants and a coffee shop and and some people you know worked in those coffee shops too so you work there you live there i don't know
0: you certainly have plenty of parking for uh for tenants at the, <laughs> yeah, right. At the kmart right
1: yeah. i think
0: it's an intriguing idea you know but I don't know how Kimco, the owner of that property, would feel about it, but
1: maybe I, I, I think you know, I think Target would be interested. <laughs> I mean,
0: might be, but you know, it was interesting. I don't remember the days when um, Barnes and Noble was talking about going in across the street from that property by the Carvel yeah. there, um, and I think there was a plan. If I don't, if I remember correctly, that maybe was the Bridgehampton um, CAC or somebody was or some somebody was talking about putting um, apartments over the Barnes and Noble, like to make it look like almost like a downtown area. And for Barnes and Noble at the time, it was like, it was something that they couldn't even wrap right. their minds around because they were not used to having they, I don't know, the so security was scaring them, the idea of people living over their store, like you're gonna like burrow through the ceiling for a copy of <laughs> War and Peace or something. I don't know what their big fear was, but I thought that was interesting. It was so out of the mall mindset that Barnes and Noble couldn't wrap their heads around the idea of apartments over a retail space, which is bizarre because that's pretty much what this country was founded on on Main exactly. Street, you know. So I thought that was interesting. But of course, that never happened. Like many things have never happened out yeah, here. Yeah, Bar- Barnes and Noble
1: didn't have much luck after that.
0: No, no. But was there any talk about that trying to bring apartments back to Main Street? Um, I know Sag Harbor has some. And I think that's also what makes it a pretty lively town. You actually have people living over the retail spaces, over the restaurants. And it gives you a certain nightlife and like streetscape quality that you sort of miss when there are no people living above retail. And I wondered, is that something that either East Hampton or Southampton or um even Bridgehampton are interested in? or West Hampton Beach? I guess they I don't know if they have second stories down there, but are, are, was there any talk about apartments over Main Street businesses?
1: I don't I don't know that it came up, but I, I think that's certainly part of part of the solution. I don't know in the town. I mean, you see that more in villages. And and so I don't know how. You know, how that would be affected by you know town planning and and, and all that. But I, I think you know, Southampton Village has talked about it as, as part of their you know their their future plans. West Hampton Beach has has the new sewer project going on that is going to allow for more apartments over businesses, and they've talked about that. Um I I think you know the and we've we've said this before. The the problem with that idea is 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 that at some point then do they become chic and do they become then not affordable? Do they become, you know, the $6,000 apartment, you know, you know, on, on main street and, or Job's lane and Southampton. I mean, I think if you're going to promote that as affordable, then you've, you've got to, you know, get the the regulations in place to make sure that that they stay affordable. Well, Sag
3: Harbor is losing them um, as as a consequence of an unrelated action they did not want any offices on the first floor in certain districts of the village so they passed a law that said you can't have offices on the first floor because they wanted retail and restaurants which is more lively well guess what happens when you ban offices from the first floor they
1: go up. they go to the
3: second floor yep.
1: and wow. they go to
3: the third floor and what's on the second floor and the third floor apartments well, what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're being kicked out. You have regulatory boards who are saying, well, this is a shame. We're losing all of our apartments. But the village board passed a law that said, put your offices upstairs. We don't want them downstairs. I know in Southampton Village a while ago, there was a lot of complaints um, that people said, there's too many real estate offices. Let's get rid of them all. But at the same time, they had a ton of vacant storefronts. So if you get rid of all the real estate offices, Um, but your retail storefronts aren't even full. Now you're just going to have a a lot more vacancies without really fixing any problems. But in Southampton Village, they're unlike Sag Harbor, they don't have a sewage treatment plant. Mm -hmm. So you can't put second story apartments in. There may have been some pre-existing ones before, but they got converted over to other uses and they can't go back to being apartments again until you put in sewage treatment. And the village is working on that right now. But even at breakneck speed, it could still be like five years before anybody gets a hookup. And once you do it, then, you know, these people had buildings that technically, as of right, they could have apartments right now. The only reason they're not doing it is the Suffolk County Department of Health won't let them do it because of septic. Mm -hmm. Right. For the village to go back in and say, oh, well, now all those apartments need to be affordable. Well, now that's kind of a taking of...
1: Um, somebody's property rights
0: yeah yeah i guess
1: well you would have to give them some kind of incentive right if if you wanted if you wanted to do that
0: right or maybe yeah like maybe pay for the pay for the hookup or pay for whatever tax
1: breaks or or you know whatever allow them uses somewhere Mm -hmm. else i mean there's all kinds of ways that you could incentivize that i would Mm -hmm. think well, I feel
3: like it would be easier to do on new construction yeah, than the existing sure. buildings there, because there aren't there aren't too many tall buildings there. But once you put in the septic, there's going to be people that want to redevelop some of those buildings. Right. And I know, historically, opposition to septic in Southampton Village was due in large part to the fear that big buildings were going to get put yeah. up.
0: Yeah. So is there, is there any idea, like where, is there any place that we haven't thought of that um affordable or workforce housing would would make sense don't, that.
1: don't put it in my backyard and that that's all <laughs> i have to
0: say. i'm willing to put it in my backyard if somebody will have to pay for the renovation <laughs> right. i don't know i just wondered if there was any um i mean was there talk about the at, uh, at the Gabreski at like using any of that for wasn't there like a little development out there or like um some like historic um like world war ii era development out there a housing that they were talking about.
3: there's like Coast Guard housing that yeah. I think that the town was eyeing to turn into affordable but the neighbors do not want it to be turned into affordable housing.
1: Yeah it's, it's always right. a problem isn't it?
0: Yeah
3: so I went to a, a meeting where I live in the town of Brookhaven and there was a proposal for multifamily housing. And if you do multifamily housing over a certain size, you have to dedicate ten percent to affordable units. So somebody in the crowd asked, "Well, what would the rent be on an affordable unit?" And the answer was like fifteen hundred dollars or sixteen hundred dollars. And the woman's response was, "That's going to bring in riffraff." <laughs> um, yeah. So do
0: you think the, is the biggest problem then perception and people just being unwilling to um, to accept? what is quote unquote workforce housing or affordable housing in their neighborhood? Is how big of a hurdle is that do you think?
1: I, I think you're right. And, and I think, you know, there was some discussion um, at the sessions event about labels and labeling stuff, workforce housing and affordable housing and and all that because of those perceptions. And so maybe we need to, um, we need to find a, a better name for it so that, that just doesn't draw on, on those prejudices. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm yeah I mean it's definitely not a a problem that's limited to here I mean we're dealing with this now with my kid down in Charleston South Carolina because it's it's you know they've had a huge increase in popularity and like all of the kid housing um, that these students used to college students used to rent is now um, upscale Airbnbs um, and there is just very little and it's very stressful as a parent to try to find not bad. something.
3: Yeah. Was it Berkeley where the neighbors got together and said like, you can't admit more students because you're affecting the town?
0: Interesting. I could see Berkeley doing that.
3: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, the the idea was do not increase your enrollment until you have added more campus housing. Yeah.
0: That is kind of something that's going on in Charleston. Like they, um, they're closing down one of the big dorms there. So that's another like 560 kids that are out. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of complaint because they're welcoming all the freshmen and all of the upperclassmen parents are and the kids are like, we have nowhere to live. And you're like, you got the biggest class ever coming in as freshmen. So um, yeah, it's an issue. I don't know, but it's everywhere. You know, I think the other thing that's interesting is the whole um, remote, you know, the COVID and the remote work. It's like all of these places that were, you know, popular have become over the top um, insanely expensive because so many people realized that they could do their city job while sitting in a small town sure. um, elsewhere. So,
1: well, and, and bought, bought up all the housing stock, which maybe at one time was rental stock and, you know, and all that mm-hmm. we've talked.
0: About yeah. That. Yeah. So it's everywhere. I don't know. So any, uh, any upside at the end that, uh,
1: I think everybody was very, very pro- positive, both on on the panel and 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 in the audience. That um, you know that that it's a focus. It's it's certainly a focus in Southampton and, and East Hampton Town and, and Sag Harbor right now. And I know that um, um, Jesse Warren, Mayor Jesse Warren, in Southampton Village, has has talked about being aware of it. And and I think that you know it. it, it so for years and years and years, there's been talk, 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 but it sounds like maybe with, with the community housing fund um, possibly coming that, um, that maybe that, that really kind of spurs, um, you know, some further action and, um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, being very optimistic, maybe we'll turn a corner um, sometime in the future.
0: Watch this space might be for rent soon. <laughs> you can only
1: hope not, not too cheap, though.
0: Not too cheap, right. (laughs) Don't call it affordable.
1: Don't call it affordable. (laughs) Right. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.